listen to the Bethel Free Baptist Church weekly sermons. This sermon is taken from the 2013 Annual Missions Conference. This is the evening service of Wednesday the 29th of May 2013. Here's Brother Leighton Kelly. Okay, well listen, uh, glad to be with you. Um, uh, glad I could be over, haven't been here. I'm nearly sure the last time I was meant to come, I don't know what went on. Um, but uh, as you know, because I know you know all about what's been going on with us, since I was last here, which was, when I was last here, which was, I was just starting off, wasn't I? You remember that? I was just starting off, I didn't know anything back then. <laughs> I don't know much more now. <laughs> but uh, I was just starting off. And uh, when I got back to Dublin, um, you know, the Lord led us to, to start. We started a Friday night outreach, and every Friday night we'll come in to church, 7 o'clock, and we meet in the church room, and I'll stand up in front of the church every week, and I'll say, okay, class, there's three things you like to do, reforms and amnesty. What is it? And if you knew what I was talking about, you would all shout back to me, talk, talk, talk. And I'd say, that's right. First of all, we talk to God in prayer and testimonies. Then we talk to each other in counseling groups. And then God speaks to us through the preaching at the end. And that's the outline every Friday night. And we normally have anywhere from 30 to 50 people on a Friday night that come into church to go through the discipleship program that is RU. When you hear RU, it's only a discipleship material. That's all it is. It's a program outline that we use, okay? Um, and my wife runs the kids program. Uh, she only has to do it, I think she does it once a month, and then she has other people do it the other times. And everybody that's involved in doing it are people that have been saved in the ministry, who used to be addicted, or have gotten their lives totally cleaned up and are in church now. So it's the fruit of the ministry is now basically running the ministry, right? So that's wonderful. That's on a Friday night. That's our outreach. We're still doing that every week. Uh, there's prayer, testimonies, and preaching, and counseling groups, and it's like group counseling, men with men, ladies with ladies. And when I say group counseling, it's, it's really just the, the people on the program are going through discipleship material and they bring their books in every week. They may be learning some verses and stuff like that. And they bring their books in every week and they get them signed off in the council group. And uh, we check in how they're doing. So that's been a wonderful tool to get people in, into church. And that's all it is. What we do on a Friday night, what we do with that kind of ministry in the churches. It's really just a bridge to get people into church that normally wouldn't come in. They're coming in looking for an addictions program, so we give them an addictions program, but it's a Bible-based addictions program. And in order for them to do the addictions program, guess what? They actually have to turn up at church. Because when we give them a, a booklet, and uh, they, they get their first booklet, they have to learn a couple of verses and stuff like that, and uh, they, have to, they have to memorize talk to talk and what it means. But they will also come to a challenge. We call them challenges. And they will also come to a challenge that says that you need to attend church on a Sunday morning and get the, the preacher to sign your book. And you have, to, you have to write down just the title of the message to show that you're torn up. Now, I am from Dublin, so there's only normally Roman Catholic churches in Dublin. So sometimes, most of the time, the people will call themselves Catholic but they haven't been in a Catholic church basically since they made their confirmation and got the cash and egg there. Um, so they normally will come to us anyway. But when they don't come to us and they, they maybe show up at the Catholic church that Sunday morning with their RU booklet and go to the priest and ask the priest to sign it, have a guess what? The priest won't sign that book. 
<laughs> okay? And he's quite rude about not signing the book. So they come back to me on the Friday night and say, the priest wouldn't sign me book. And I, and I always say, well, that's okay. You come here on Sunday morning. Pastor would love to sign your book. He'd be standing at the back door and he's waiting to sign challenges at the back door of the church on a Sunday morning. So what that does is that opens the door for them to come out to church. Um, and that's what they need. They need to get under the preaching. They need to get in, in, good, in a good atmosphere, a good group of people that are going in the right direction. They need to get under. I mean, most people that, that I minister to will have never in their lives held a Bible in their hands. Before I got saved, I had never seen a Bible in real life before. Before I went to a holiday Bible club and I saw a preacher preaching the gospel, it was the very first time in my entire life that I had ever seen a Bible in real life. I'd seen them on TV. I'd never seen one in real life, never touched one, never, never rustled through the pages. I wonder how many Bibles you have at home. A lot of people have never even seen them. You know, because the church I used to go to, they don't, they don't want to do anything with the Bible. And, uh, you know, I got saved as a young fella, like I said in the story, um, and walked away from the Lord and ended up in, in all sorts of trouble. And basically, I went through every single drug that there is, I've been addicted to. The only thing I haven't been addicted, addicted to is crack cocaine and methamphetamines. That's the only things I haven't done because they weren't around when I was a drug addict. But I was, I was on everything else I was addicted to, from the needle to everything else. And, you know, found there was absolutely no hope for me at all. I, you know, I tried every doctor, tried every pill, going to counsellors, psychiatrists, no ho- mental hospitals and all that kind of stuff. I tried everything. I was absolutely desperate. Tried God one time and God changed me from the inside out. See, I found the answer and the answer is Christ. The Bible says, and ye shall know the truth and the truth shall no, it doesn't. <laughs> it says, make you free. I know you are all King James thumpers around here just like me. But if you read that verse, it says, make you free. There's a difference between getting set free and God making you free. There's a difference. And God made me free. I was always trying to get set free. But God made me free. I've never touched a drug, a, a, a drink, a cigarette since then. And, I mean, that's been since the year 2000. Seems like hundreds of years ago. <laughs> All right? But it's a long time. And God changed my life. And uh, like I said, I went and I finished a program in Scotland. My preacher took me in. I went and I finished the program in Scotland. Ended up going, joining the local Baptist church. Married the pastor's daughter. I was wearing a dress in that picture when you saw me at my wedding. I wore a kilt at my wedding. Don't drop me for my support or anything like that. That was back in the olden days. But uh, I was marrying a Scottish lady, and I knew from talking to her before that in her dream, she always imagined that she'd be marrying a Scottish guy in a kilt. And she wasn't saying that to get me to wear a kilt. She knew I would never do that. So it was a big surprise. On her wedding day, I turned up in a kilt. So it was a big surprise. Um, so, um, you know... Uh, I got married in Scotland, uh, you know, got serving in the, in the church there. I ran the youth club. I, I was in, I worked for Glasgow City Council. I volunteered in a Christian addictions program. I, I was heavily involved in the local church. And guess what? That's where missionaries are made, in the local church. That's where I got a heart for serving. I served 
tirelessly in the local church. And then one day, me and my wife went on a holiday, like what I said, and we went over for the missions conference over in Dublin, and uh, the Lord boarding the two of us about giving up what we had in Scotland and moving over to Ireland, and really not knowing how it was all going to turn out. But, that, you know, I think we, we're now in full-time ministry since 2000, and the end of 2005. And let me tell you, a lot of missionaries don't last that long. And I, when I say I work, I minister. I, I, I'm in the men's home from 8 o'clock in the morning till late. On a Tuesday night, I'm in the men's home from 8 o'clock in the morning, and I don't finish until 10 o'clock. I put in hours and hours and hours. I preach to the men. Uh, Monday morning, I do Bible class. Tuesday morning, Tuesday night, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, preaching the church on fr- uh, Friday night. I'm constantly preaching, constantly teaching. You know, what our ministry is all about is getting people, seeing them reached, and then discipling them. Isn't that what the Great Commission is? Getting people, reaching them, and then discipling them. And that's what we're doing. Um, I, be- I, I, you know, people will say this about their ministries all the time. I fully believe from reading my Bible and reading the, uh, the four Gospels that if Jesus Christ was walking around here in 2013, he would be involved in a ministry to the down-and-out people. He would be involved in some kind of ministry to the addicted and the homeless. How do I know that from reading the four Gospels? Because that's the type of people he came and reached when he was on the earth. You know, he went to the people of low character, of low standing. He went to the lowest of the low when he was around. Um, and, you know, you say, well, I never read about him uh, going to the, to the alcoholics back in, the, in, in Bible days. That's because there was no alcoholics hanging around street corners back in the Bible days. You know, they had other issues. Um, but I truly believe that God's heart is for those broken people. One thing about somebody that's broken and lost in sin like that is that they know that they're a sinner. You don't need to convince them. They know every time they look in the mirror, guilt gets them. Their conscience is, is going after them all the time. They know they're, they're, they're doing wrong. And, you know, our ministry has gone. We started off the Friday night program and the kids program and the addicts would bring their kids. We have a bus service that will go and collect the addicts and their kids and we'll collect them and drop them home. We'll get them into church. We always have a cup of tea and something to eat after, after the ORU. So we do all that kind of stuff just to make it easy for somebody to come out. If you have kids, you bring your kids with you. We look after your kids while you're in the addictions program. Everything's set up so nobody has an excuse why they can't turn up from a baby to a 13-year-old because the youth fellowship is on uh, in the church at the same time. So no matter what age you are, there's somewhere for you in the church on Friday night. And um, we started a program. Things were going well. People were coming out, seeing people saved. And God was doing a work, seeing people in church. And what ended up happening was me and Claire started taking people into our home. Okay, So we would take in one person at a time. Um, and basically one guy at a time that, that I would know that we come into the program that, you know, I was thinking was needing help and we'd give them help, but they would live with us and I'd be working with them during the day and, you know, kind of, that's where the program started developing in a sense. And done that for, for a wee while and then the, the Lord laid on our hearts and the church's heart there in Dublin to open up a, a residential facility for men, which we did. We started off with three poles, <laughs> three poles. Uh, started off with five beds. Now we're up to 13 beds. We housed 13 men for a year. 
uh, in the programme. We don't get any government funding at all. We don't get a penny from the government. Everything that we get is from gifts. Uh, I'm supported as a missionary, so I don't pull any money from the men's home. But we do employ two full-time guys and a part-time secretary. And then we have volunteers that do the rest. And have a guess what? Everybody that we employ and everybody that works for us has come through the ministry and is through of the ministry and that is in church. Everybody. We have an outreach worker come through the ministry. We have, uh, that's his sole job is to go out and do the assessments, to go to the prison, to meet the, meet the guys, to do the interviews, to put up the posters. That's his sole job. That's all he does, constantly out there doing that kind of stuff. We have two full-time guys that, that one lives in the men's home, has his own apartment in the men's home, and then he, he's there full-time. Uh, we, ha- we pay him a wage, um, and then the other guy lives off-site, but he comes in every day. Both men came through the program, graduates of the men's home. Um, so everybody that's involved in the ministry has basically came through the ministry. So it's wonderful to see when, when the fruit of the ministry starts running the ministry. It's like when you start a church and you have the church here. You know, at first it'll just be the missionary and the pastor that's doing all the stuff. But then somebody in the church starts doing the cleaning. Somebody in the church takes over the missions program. Somebody in the church starts, you know, take, taking responsibility. And that's what's happened. Um, so stuff is going on wonderfully well right now. We've seen a number of people get married that were graduates of the program. We have a number of people... We have two families that have kids in the Christian school that were addicts and ended up getting saved and getting their lives turned around, and now their kids are in the Christian school. Um, so lots of really good, positive stuff, people getting plugged in, people getting used. Um, wonderful, wonderful stuff going on over in Dublin. If you ever want to come and see what's going on in Dublin, um, you just have to let me know. Um, we are just downsizing our house, so we are in the process of moving house. Um, uh, but um, let us know whatever we can do to help. If you were coming over, it would be wonderful to see you. What else have we been doing? Uh, I do a lot of preaching. I do a lot of traveling. I'm, I seem like I'm always preaching somewhere. Uh, I've just finished looking after a church in Bray. A missionary is on deputation, and uh, I looked after his church all services while he was away. Um, so that was exciting, but kept me really, really busy. Um, so just uh, just open to whatever God would have me to do. Um, ministry is at a position now where it could probably I could probably move on. Um, so only starting to pray about that. You all know, um, three years ago um, in May, uh, this month, three years ago, I was at a missions conference in London. And um, got a phone call to say um, that my son was sick, Oshim was sick, um, Oshim was taken into hospital, and he had leukemia, he still has. Um, and we have gone through all the stages of that where we've seen, you know, uh, I don't know if you've ever had one of your children that's sick, but it's absolutely nothing in life prepares you for it. And people can talk to you about it, but nothing prepares you for it. And to, to be in the cancer ward in, in the children's hospital and see all the little kids, people dying on a regular basis, the baldy heads, the sunken in eyes, the black eyes, uh, the tubes coming out of everywhere, it's heartbreaking. And you're thinking, is my son going to be next? And let me tell you, the devil is real, real, real present at times like that. And listen, he would do... It would 
you know, that's what he's looking to do is get people off track instead of doing what, what you should be doing. But God has been so good to us. We're three years on through the treatment. Though she is still on chemo every night. He's in school and all that, no problems. But he's still on chemotherapy every night. We have to give him chemo at home. He still has a tube in his chest, a line that comes out of his chest. I still have to take blood from him every week and bring it down to the hospital. There's still loads of appointments. But we're real, real thankful that he's in real good health and uh, everything looks good. And we thought he was going to be finished this month. And uh, we were all geared up for that. And then we went down to the hospital and told us, sorry, it's at least another eight months. Um, so it was a bit of, uh, a bit of uh, unexpected news, but that's just the way it is. But everybody else is doing amazingly well. Um, Claire is pregnant. She's due, I think, in about a month. I, I'm a man. I'm not sure of these things, but she tells me about a month. Um, and that's going to be five boys I have. So I have a five side, and I'm the manager. Um, so that's wonderful. And, um, you know, all the other boys are doing real well. Uh, you know, talking about the Lord. Little boys going and witnessing about Jesus. You know, I was, I was in, I have a recliner in, in me sitting around that Claire bought me for Christmas a few years ago. And I'm sitting on the recliner about a month ago. And uh, uh, Oshane comes in with my little fella, Sean, who's two. And Oshane says, uh, Sean's out there getting saved. And I'm like, did he? And uh, Sean comes through and he says, yeah, he just asked Jesus into his heart down the bedroom. Now, Sean hadn't got a clue what he was doing, but uh, it, was, it was exciting to see that Ushin uh, had the heart to go and try witness to his uh, little brother. So uh, things have been going really, really well with the family. Things are going really well with the ministry. But the ministry is a heartache to me, and it's hard going. I mean, I'd love to have a job like, like a pastor, you know, just working on a Sunday. That's what I used to think, right? That's what I used to think. Pastors just working on a Sunday, that would be a good number to have. Because uh, my place doesn't close, the ministry to the, to the men, it doesn't stop. Christmas Day, we're having the men for Christmas dinner. You know, it just doesn't, it doesn't close. The men can't go home, you know, for Christmas. I deal with people that are, you know, I've, I've one of the pictures you saw, somebody that, was, that killed somebody, he was sent by a Scottish prison uh, to the men's home from Scotland, which was really unusual and not really done on license to us. Um, yeah, I've had people, constant people in for armed robberies and they get sent to us. Uh, massive crime problems, but, you know, they, they can't be forced to come. But if they request it from the courts, the courts will let them come into the program. And they always say the program's much harder than going to prison. There's no smoking, no drinking, no TV, no newspapers, no radio, no contemporary Christian music. They're up at 6 o'clock every morning. Between 6 and 7, they're getting ready for the day, shaving and showering, cleaning their room. <laughs> then their rooms get checked. 7 to 8, that's an hour every morning. They're in personal devotions where they're reading their Bible. They're filling in their RU prayer journal. Then they have breakfast, then they clean up. And then Bible class starts on a Monday from half 9 till half till 12 o'clock, split in two. And uh, then we, we play football, and then a missionary comes in Monday evening. Tuesday, same schedule in the morning, except pastor comes in, do Bible class, then I do Bible class. Then uh, they work during the day, and then I, do, I preach on Tuesday evening. Wednesday, they're up again, 6 in the morning, the devotions for the hour. Um, they're out working in the morning. Um, and then they go to church prayer meeting and Bible study. They're involved in the calling program. They're involved in all the ministry that's going on in the church. 
They're in church every single service that the doors are open. Uh, they're involved in everything that's going on in the church. And uh, we house 13 men. And you think what it'd be like having 13 grillets, you know, around the place. Can you imagine how much food we go through in a week? Okay? We don't get a penny from the government. Uh, can you imagine? I have an electricity bill on my car uh, in the airport for €1,800 Euro for two months. €1,800. Euro. Um, a cost, and this, this isn't kidding, a cost to run the men's home, 10000 a month to run the men's home. For insurance, rent, wages, and I don't, I don't pull a penny from it. Uh, phone bills, internet bills, uh, minibus, minibus insurance, minibus tax, the fuel, um, just the, the food, uh, massive, massive bills. And the Lord has provided all the way. When we started off, we started off at not a penny. And the Lord has met the need all the time. Um, and we do some fundraising stuff to, to raise some money. Um, but it's always tight. Always keep us in prayer about, about the finances. You know what it's like with finances? It's, you know, it's, a, it's not spiritual, but yeah, it is. Jesus talked a lot about money. It's a massive issue. And you can't just, you know, you, you can't run out of food in the men's home. You know, it's, you have to have the insurance, and the insurance is like three just over 3000 a year. You know, massive, massive bills. So, um, you know, that's, that's another story. That's one of my burdens that I have to bear is making sure I have money in the bank for the, the men's wages that, that work in the men's home. And they don't work 40 hours a week. You know, they'd be working part-time if they worked 40 hours a week. They work all sorts of hours. Because remember, I have to have somebody sleeping over every single night in the men's home. I have to have a staff member on 24-7 all the time. Uh, so it's massive, massive money. Um, so that, that's a need. But the men, you know, to get a real touch from God when they're there, you know, not just make a decision to get saved and be iffy about it, but really grab hold of Christ when they're there and Christ to take over in their life. You know, that's what makes somebody a success or a failure. You know, when I talked on the video about... You know, uh, the successes are great. But I tell you, we've had people that came through uh, good chunks of our program, decided to walk away and go back to their old lives. And, and the truth is, some of them have lost their lives because of it. You know, it's a dangerous business. The amount of family members that are affected by drugs and alcohol, it's, it's huge. You know, uh, substance abuse in our society is massive. And, you know, it's, it's the church's responsibility to do something about it. We'd like to leave it to the government, but really, the church is God's support group. It's God's hospital for broken and hurting people. And they need to be able to come and find help here. Now, I don't mean help in drug treatment. I mean help and they need to be able to find a savior who can forgive their sins and change their lives. You see, it's not about an outside change. You know, society will always try to change the outside circumstances of somebody's life. What God does is God works on the heart. And if he works on the heart on the inside, the outside stuff changes automatically. You know, but oftentimes I, I have real strict rules in the men's home. Real strict rules. But that's not what changes somebody. That just protects them from the influences of the world to give them an opportunity to change. But it's Christ working in them that changes them. 
the rules just protect them while they're changing. You know, that, that's all that's going on in the men's home. Think of the men's home as like a greenhouse for new Christians. And that's what it is, a greenhouse for new Christians. A number of missionaries come in and do Bible classes and all that and teach us. And that's, that's a wonderful help. So there's lots of people involved, lots of family members being, uh, being benefiting from it. I mean, to see a father who hasn't, you know, been in his son or daughter's life, getting back into their life and being clean and going to church, wearing a, a short and tight torn up in church on Sunday morning and looking totally different. And maybe he still has tattoos sticking over his collar on his neck. And, you know, everything about him looks really rough. But you speak to him and he's talking to you about the Bible and he's talking to you about, you know, the Lord and about church and about singing. And, you know, you can see God has worked. I mean, every, every time we have a graduation in our church from the men's home, all the men's home get up and sing. Now, let me tell you, you cannot get a load of hardened crooks to get up and sing a Christian song, a hymn, if you had a gun. Isn't that true? Okay? And, and I, I'm not going to tell you whether I have a gun or not to do it. But the reality is, every time we do it, the men all get up and the men sing. And you can't force somebody to do that. A rule can't make somebody do that. But Jesus on the inside can make somebody do that. They're willing to do it. They're excited about it. They're terrified when they're doing it. You know, I've had a, a guy giving a testimony and he says, hello, my name's Brian and I'm nervous. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we have the guys come around, they give testimonies, they travel with me a little bit. They go to men's retreat, they do popcorn preaching. We will often have nights in the men's home where we'll have popcorn preaching night. You have five minutes to speak up stand up and shut up, uh, and then, you know, it gives them an opportunity to start getting a message together, five-minute preaching message. Wonderful, wonderful nights. Absolutely, like, you could not buy this stuff, you know? So the positives are great and well worth doing, but they're not all successes, is the reality. And you think about the 12 that was with Jesus. Not all of them were successful. One of them went off after hearing the truth, knowing the truth, walking with the truth, decided to walk away. It cost him his life. My ministry is often like that. Many go on. God uses them greatly. But there are some that walk away just like Jews. And it never ends well. It never ends well. Let's, let's look to the Bible. Do I have a finishing time tonight? Just whenever I fi- That is wonderful. Okay, turn your Bibles to the book of 2 Kings with me. I'm going to try to be quick, but I can't promise anything, right? Um, 2 Kings chapter 6. And let me encourage you about missions. I mean, I got called into full-time ministry uh, at a missions conference. And I hope God does a storm work in your heart during the missions conference. What we're going to talk about tonight, I knew I was going to be preaching on the first night. And where's the very first... Uh, situation in the, in the Bible that we should be doing when it comes to evangelizing the world? What should we be doing first? Can anybody tell me? Where do you start off? Okay. So that's, that's around here, okay? So <laughs> that's a little bit further out now. All right. And I know Ireland are playing England tonight. Just That's probably why half of the church didn't turn up. They're already watching the football. Actually, all my men think I'm bang at it and that I'm going over to the match. I told them I'm going to a missions conference and they're looking at me going off today and they're thinking, the Ireland-England match is on, you're going to England? You're definitely going to that match. So, um, 
I can assure them that I'm not. But go Ireland anyway. Um, look at Second Kings chapter 6 with me for a minute. And let's read it. Now listen, we're going to read a story in the Bible that if I hadn't read it in the Bible, I wouldn't believe it. It's a really, really unusual story. Real, real sad story. But look with me at, starting at verse 24, 2 Kings chapter 6, the Bible says, And it came to pass after this, Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all the host and went up, and he besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it until an ass's head was sold for fourscore pieces of silver and a fourth part of a cap of dove's dung for five pieces of silver. And as the king of Israel went passing upon the wall, there cried a woman unto him, saying, Help, my lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord do not help thee, when shall I help thee? Out of the barn floor, out of the winepress? And the king said unto her, What aileth thee? And she answered, This woman said unto me, Give thy son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and did eat him. And I said unto her the next day, Give thy son, that we may eat him. And she hid her son. And it came to pass, when the king heard the words that the, uh, of the woman, that he rent his clothes, and he passed by upon the wall. And the people looked, and behold, he had sackcloth upon his flesh. You see, what's happening here is the king is starting to get desperate. He's starting to get real motivated now. Turn over to the next chapter, chapter 7 for me. This is the same story, same situation, same city that these men are, are outside of, the city where they're surrounded by the enemy, and the enemy is basically trying to starve them out of the city. This is what the Bible says, and look at verse 3. And there were four leprous men at the entering of the gate, and they said to one another, Why sit here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city and we shall die there. If we sit here, uh, we die also. Now therefore come and let us fall onto the host of the Syrians that they may save us alive and we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. Now they rose up in the twilight to go onto the camp of the Syrians and they were come to the utmost part of the camp of Syria. Behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, even to the noise of a great host. And they said to one another, Lo, the king of Israel had hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight, and they left their tents and their horses and their asses, even the camp as it was, and they fled for their life. And when these lep lepers came to the utmost part of the camp and they went in one tent and they did eat and drink and carry tents silver and gold and raiment and went in and hid it. And they came again and entered into another tent and carry tents also, went in and hid it. And they said to one another, and this is the key point of the message tonight, they said to one another, verse 9, we do not well. This day is a day of good tidings. And we hold our peace. This day is a day of good tidings. And we hold our peace. See, friends, when I read this story, I tell you, I wouldn't have believed it unless I read it in the Bible. But it's true. And, you know, here we have a, a situation where Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, is trying to starve the people out of the city. 
And, you know, when you watch movies about, uh, you know, battles and, and cities and castles, you always see them charging, throwing ladders up and bouncing over the wall and busting in and everything like that. Most of the time, that's not what happened. Most of the time, they would surround the city. They would cut off the water supply, and if they couldn't, they would poison it with dead animals, and they would basically starve you out of the city. So this is what's happening. The city is surrounded. They're being starved. There's a famine in the city. It's absolutely desperate. You know, I've been, I've been uh, on Skid Row in my past life when I was a drug addict. So much I, I have eaten out of a skip before. Uh, wasn't one of my finer moments. <laughs> but uh, listen, I've never been as bad as these people in this city. I mean, it's terrible. Here we have somebody, uh, they're selling uh, a donkey's head for 80 pieces of silver. Now, let me tell you, I, I've been hungry, but never that hungry. Uh, if pastor wants to bring me out for something to eat, if he wants to buy me donkey's head, I'm not going. Uh, I don't mind if it's rude or not. I'm not eating no donkey's head. And listen, what's going on in this city is all the food is gone. You won't hear dogs barking in this city. The rats are all gone. Everything's gone. Everything's been eaten. You know what? It's so bad in the city that they're, they're selling doves dung. And they're selling, it's like a quarter cap or like a half point of dove's dung for five pieces of silver. We can't even fathom that. We can't fathom going down to Tesco's and there being nothing there but a donkey's head and, and dove's dung. You know, it just doesn't cross our mind. We don't know what hunger starvation is at all. This city, the people are starving. You can smell death in the air. There's bodies decaying on the side of the road. You know, death is all around them. Their kids are starving to death and dying. It's so bad that one lady, you know, that two ladies hatch a plan to eat their own children. Now, I've thought about killing my kids before, but never eating them, you know. Uh, and, you know, the reality is that's how bad it is in this city. And it's absolutely terrible what's going on. And they've no hope, no, you know, no help is coming. But you know what? The, the, the leadership in the city, the king, is passing on the wall, and he hears this story. And the king, the leadership, gets broken about the situation in his town, in his city. And the Bible says he puts on sackcloth, and he goes before the Lord, and he asks God to help him. And do you know when, God, when you ask God for help, God will always make a way? God will always send somebody You'll read many times in your Bible where the Bible says, and the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And then you'll read, and the Lord raised up a deliverer. God always will raise somebody up to help you if you're looking for help. And you know, that's what he done. The king started to ask God for help, and God steps in, and God's going to help them. But not maybe in the way they're going to think God is going to help them. You know, at the city of this gate, you know, you can smell death in the air. You know, people are starving to death in the city. You see, we go into chapter 7 and we read about the four leprous men. You know, the four leprous men, you, you think about this and get a picture of the four leprous men in your mind. You know, when you see somebody with leprosy, you see somebody with missing limbs. Maybe their ear has fallen off. Maybe their nose is gone. There's all bubbles on their face. There's bits of them missing. Their fingers are missing. They're a ragtag bunch of men hanging around on the outside of the city wall. You see, if you had leprosy, you were put out of the city. So they were hanging around the outside of the city. Now you say, well, how come they didn't get killed? Well, think this true with me. They would have had archers on the wall. There would have been archers maybe in the surrounding area. But 
they would stay back from each other so the people in the castle couldn't hit the fellas in the, in the, in the, in the field and the people in the field couldn't hit the fellas in the, in the wall. So there was like a dead man zone around it. And I'm sure there was the odd person that tried to escape the city and go and try run and they would have been shot down when they went outside. Well, here's these four leprous men in this dead zone. They're afraid to wander too far from the wall in case they get shot by the people in the forest. They're, you know, they're just, they're just stuck. And, you know, people with leprosy, they can't go and make a living for themselves, so they're dependent upon charity. But nobody's coming to feed you if you're a leper, if there's nothing in the city for your own family to eat. So these lepers are in a difficult situation. And look what they said in verse 3. Why sit here until we die? They had a desperate need. If we say that we will enter into the city, there's a famine in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we'll die also. Now therefore come, let us fall unto the host of the Syrians that they may save us alive. And if they kill us, we shall but die. Listen, they hadn't got good options. They had no options at this point. They didn't, they didn't, you know, there wasn't, you know, great plans ahead of them. They were going to take a chance and going down to the Syrians and, and begging for mercy. So that's what they decided to do. But in the meantime, God had heard the prayers of the leadership in the city. And God had heard the, uh, the army, they heard the noise of the great host. And, and basically, they all, they all ran and left everything. But the people in the city didn't know that. The lepers didn't know that. The lepers thought when they left that dead man's zone that they were going to get hit with an arrow at, at any moment. And you can, you can imagine, you know, they're kind of slowly walking out. And they get out there and, you know, they get into the, they, they walk through and, and they don't see anybody. And they walk into the camp and the Bible says they go into one, one tent and it's all laid out. The food is all laid out. The camp is left the way it was. And remember, in this invading army, how much food do you think would be uh, in all these tents? Enough food to feed it? An army, okay, because it was an army, right? And uh, they had it all laid out. Everything was good. They had all the stuff laid out. Everything was there. And the, the four lepers went in and they absolutely gorged themselves. The Bible says that they went in one tent. They ate until they were going to burst. The belts were open. The top button was undone. They were out there having a time with the food. And then they took the gold and silver and the good clothes and they went out and they buried them. Little uh, investment policy for a rainy day. Then they went in and went to the next tent. They'd done the same thing. Done it a few times until they thought to themselves, sure, we'll never be able to spend this much money. Then the penny drops with them. And it's the same penny that needs to drop in your heart and in your life and in your church. They started to think to themselves, you know what? There must be more to this than meets the eye. Oh, it's fine coming out to church and having a good time and we can have a time in church and it's wonderful. There must be more to it. There must be more to it. They went in. They had enough. Every they had enough supplies for their own their own selves. And look what they said down in, in verse nine. You see, the penny dropped, and they started to think not only about themselves, but they started to think about other people. They said, "We do not well. We're not doing something good here. This isn't good. What we're doing, we do not well. This day is a day of good tidings." And we hold our peace. I really think the church of Jesus Christ is guilty of this. I think we're guilty of it. I think this is the age of grace. I think the, the uh, salvation is available for all men. For whosoever shall come. 
God has made a way for every man to get saved. He died on the cross so sins could be forgiven, so man could be reconciled with God, so he could be redeemed of his sins, so he could have a home in heaven and walk with Jesus Christ. But we do not well. Today is a day of good tidings, but we hold our peace. Why do we hold our peace? It's a day of good tidings. The good news that people need to know, you know, it needs to be told to them. You know, nobody else is going to tell them. There's no angels coming to tell the people about Jesus Christ and salvation. There's no angels coming. You know, Michael and Gabriel, they're not coming to do it, to do the job. It's your responsibility. It's my responsibility. God has made the church of Jesus Christ responsible for uh, sharing the gospel with the lost, spreading the good tidings of salvation in Jesus Christ. And these four leprous men, let me tell you, they were a sight to look upon. And they started to say to each other, you know what, we do not well, this isn't good. They knew the people in the city were starving to death, you see. They knew the people in the city were eating dove's dung. They knew the people in the city were killing their own kids and eating them. They knew the people in the city were eating asses' heads. You know, they knew the people in the city were, were desperate and broken and without hope and without help. And if, the, if they didn't do something about it, they were going to die in their sins. And they were just, their lives were going to be over. And the four guys thought to themselves, you know, we need to do something. But you know what? You can rest assured that these four guys, you know what? They would have started to think to themselves and the devil would have started to tell them, sure, who are you? Why would, why would people believe you? Sure, you're just a stinking leper. Look at you, sure, your finger's missing, toe's missing. Your lip is gone. You're missing an ear and a nose. You know, falling apart, these four guys were. But you know what these four guys were? They knew something. They knew some good news that everybody in that city needed to know. And God made it so that these four lepers who didn't look much, who've never been to Bible college, who've never been to seminary, who've never done much, but you know what they knew? They knew the truth. They knew the good news. They knew that God had come and made a way for the people to be saved. So what did they do? They said, we need to do something. We have to do something. We can't continue on like this. The people in the city need to hear what, what we have to say. You see, they had information that was going to save an entire city. But you know what? I'm sure the thought would have went through their minds to think, well, stuff them, you know, they threw us out of the city. Because I know if I was them, that's probably what I would have thought. But they didn't, folks. They didn't. They didn't look in the mirror and say, sure, I couldn't go tell them. Who's going to believe me? Look, I can barely talk now, I'm that bad. You know, uh, look at the life I've had. You know, nobody's going to listen to me. You know, they could have made all sorts of excuses not to be involved in the, in the job that God had for them and, and sharing the good tidings that God wanted them to share. But they said, no, we do not well. Today is a day of good tidings and we hold our peace. And they, they had a burden inside them. They needed to do something. Now understand for a minute, folks, that, you know, uh, they, they weren't responsible for making the people believe. They weren't responsible for making the people trust that God had made a way for them. What were they responsible for? Just sharing the news. Just sharing the news. That's all they were responsible for. You know what? Uh, just delivering the message that God had given them. God allowed them four particular men. To see the salvation of God in that army camp. Nobody else knew about it. The king didn't know about it. The, the, the generals didn't know about it. But four ordinary leprous men, Joe Blow people, God made it 
he had shown salvation to them. They were saved because of what God had done. God had made a way for them. God has made a way for the people of Birmingham all around us. This place used to be, from what preacher says, this place used to be jumping with Christians. This place used to be the, the busiest place probably around here for miles. This used to be a real busy place. But because of who knows what, all the, the people have dispersed over the years and gone their separate ways. Well, let me tell you, the same God that had this place full all those years ago is the same God that we serve today. And I know you're in the heart of, you know, uh, you know, lots of Muslims and all that around, but that doesn't matter. You're not responsible for making people believe. You're only responsible for sharing the good news with them. And what is the good news? The good news is Jesus came and died on a cross for mankind's sins. You know what? When Christ looked out, he saw much people and he was moved with compassion, the Bible said. But when we look out, we're not moved. Because if we were moved, we'd do something about it. Oftentimes, we're not moved. We're way too comfortable. Way too comfortable. You know what? These four lepers, they weren't comfortable. Oh, they had money in the bank or buried under the ground. They had full tummies now. But you know what? They had a burden inside them. They could have went and lived a high life for the rest of their lives. But you know what? They didn't. They turned around and said, we need to do something. We need to go back to the city that we're from. Our family are out there dying. They're going to die if we don't do something about it. You know what? They knew their, these four lepers, they were just normal blokes out of the city. They all had family members probably still alive in the city that needed to hear about the salvation of God. God had made a way for them. God had provided for them a way of salvation out of their situation that they were in. But yeah, you know what? Half of us probably wouldn't go and tell the people. We need to be willing to share the good news of salvation with people. That's where mission starts. If you're not, it's fine and you should give the missions. God wants you to give the missions. But God wants you to be a missionary right now. When did I start to be a missionary? Oh, was it when I gave, when I gave up my house in Scotland and my job and me and Claire moved over to Ireland? No. I was a missionary well before that. I was a missionary even before I, when I was just serving at the local church. I was involved in everything. And everything that was going on, you know, uh, and it's just the way it needs to be. Get involved, get busy. Today is the day of good tidings. You'll never have a better day to go and serve God. Don't do it for man, do it for God. God expects it of you. You know, God has made a way for you to be saved so you can go and tell somebody else how to be saved so they can be saved and go tell somebody else. And you can't be all over the world and God tells you to reach the world. So how do you do it? You do it by the commandment of God. Go and give the missionaries, they go for you. And you go and reach the people here. But if you don't reach the people here, nobody else is going to do it. And you can have a great missions program. And you should have a great missions program. And you do have a great missions program. But it starts here. It starts with your own family. It starts with your own friends. It starts with your own houses. And you say, we've knocked on all the doors around here. We've done that. Constantly doing it. Do it again. Do it again. Maybe do it in a different way this time. But do it again. Don't stop. The people need to know you're not responsible for making them believe. You're only responsible for giving them the good news, the good tidings. Now, what happens when these four leprous men turn up at the city? Well, what happens? Well, the, the king doesn't believe them. Nobody believes them. But that doesn't matter. God is pleased with them four lepers for the fact that they had the heart to go and do it. God can use you if you have a heart to go do it. 
But if God's trying to pull you along all the time, it's hard going. It's hard going for you. It's a struggle for the preacher. It's a struggle for God because you're pulling against it all the time. Get with it. You know, get with it. Get involved. You know, if you want, you have to be willing to serve God. And you're at church on a Wednesday night. So I know I'm speaking to the, to the solid crowd, the people that are here on a Wednesday night. I know that. I know probably everybody in this room has given to my, to my family over the, over the number of years that you've been supporting me. So I'm somebody that really loves your church, loves your passion, loves you and, and is really involved and knows that I get emails from uh, Malcolm and stuff like that and I'm sending the prayer letters and my prayer letters up over on the, and my family photographs over there and I know you're keenly interested in me. But I am somebody that has to come and give you the message that God laid on my heart to give. And God says you have to be involved in reaching people right now. See, sometimes we can feel less guilty about evangelism because we give the missions. Oh, they're doing the job for me. That Leighton Kelly fella, he's reaching all these addicts and we're going to have loads of treasure stored up in heaven. He's are. Trust me, there's loads of people out to get and read from all I do over there in Dublin. And it's all to the glory of God because certainly Leighton Kelly couldn't do it. But that does not excuse you for the people here in Birmingham or your family members or your neighbours. I'm not coming over here to reach those people. No missionary that you get through over the next few days is coming to reach your people. You need to reach your people. Preacher's from, from America. He's over here to reach your people. But that's only for a time. You need to get it stored up so that becomes who you are and what you are, what you're about. You know, God can make you such a flame and evangelist if you just let him. And you say, well, ain't I'm nervous sharing the gospel with people. You know, if you share with them, you know, it could drive them further away from God. Did you ever hear somebody saying that? Do you know what? A lost person can't get any further from God than they already are. They can't get any more further away from God than they already are. There's not people that are kind of nearly saved. You know, they're either saved or lost. You either have a ticket in your hand for heaven or you have a ticket in your hand for hell. You're either saved or lost. You're either guilty or innocent. You either stand before God and God says, you know, welcome in or depart from me. I never knew you. You know? And you really need to understand that. The reality of hell is something that we need to think about a whole lot more than we actually do. And you say, well, you know what? Nobody gets saved. People do get saved. I got saved as a young fella from doing Holiday Bible Club because somebody invited me to Holiday Bible Club. I got called into the ministry because my local church had a missions program and had a missions conference. This is, what, this is what God uses. God uses stuff like this. Maybe set yourself a goal. Set yourself a target. If you don't normally give out gospel leaflets, if you don't normally talk to people about the Lord, set yourself a target that you're going to do five people over the next week. You're going to give out five gospel leaflets or talk to five people and invite them to church. Random people. Let me tell you, if you would do that and come back next week and you could say to somebody, you know what, I've done it. Five people. Haven't done it in ages. Haven't seen anybody saved in years but I'm after doing it. You know what? You'll be started. See, sometimes we lose the motivation. We may be used to do stuff and it kind of fizzles out. You know, it's just the way life is. So what you need to do is you need to get stored again. You need to get going again. You need to set yourself a target, set yourself a goal and get really busy. You know what? These four leprous men, listen, you look much better than they did. You have much better possibility of people accepting what you say than they did. That should never stop you. 
doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, how inexperienced you are as a Christian. It doesn't matter how you speak. God's just looking at your heart and saying, would you go and speak to somebody for me? Look what I've done for you on the cross. Look what I've done for them. But they don't know. And they need to know. Today, it's today is a day of good tidings. It's not tomorrow. It's not next week. It's today. Today is a day of good tidings. Today is the day of salvation. You need to go and share today and tomorrow and the next day. And it needs to be that it becomes your life. Not just something that you do, but who you are. You need to become a disciple of people. When somebody comes into the church, make a beeline for them, get over there and talk to them. Be friendly with them. You know, encourage them out. Encourage them for a cup of tea. You know, do whatever you can to make it easy for people to come into the church. That's all I do in my ministry. I've made an avenue for people that wouldn't normally come into church to come into church. And when they come into church, they find a place where they're loved, accepted, and they all have the God-shaped hole in their life. They know they're missing something from their life. They don't know what it is, but they need to know what it is because it's only God that can meet that need. And the people I minister to, the reality is most of them have been using drugs trying to fill that hole, trying to satisfy that need. And I tell you, it's only God that can meet that need. You know the information. You're here on a Wednesday night. Let me encourage you. Give the missions. Pray for missions. By all means, you better be a missionary. No, no hold them back. No hold them back. It needs to be important. It needs to be a driving force in your life that you go do it. And you don't make excuses. If you're starting to make excuses about, but, 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 I can't, I've done that, it's just all excuses. Let me tell you, you have to do it. And nobody can make you do it. But I tell you, one day you will stand before God and, account, and give an account for your life. And God's not a lawyer. Do you understand God's not a lawyer? When God meets you, if he was to meet you today, will he say to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant? It's a challenging thing, isn't it? And I tell you, we could all do more. And I'm speaking to myself. I could do more. We could all do more. Today is a day of good tidings. The Bible says the fields are already white. You know what? If I used to live on a farm for five years. And when the crops are ready, the fields are white. And you have to go out and get the, get the corn and grain in right away. Because if you miss it, you miss it. So you need to go out and get it right away. The Bible says that the fields are already white. That we need to go and get it in. There's people out there that would get saved that we would just share with them. There's people in that city that, you know what, would have lost their lives if these four lepers hadn't been willing to go back. Be willing. Say to God, God, I'm just willing to do whatever you would have me to do. And let him use your life. Let him use your life. You know what? God can take somebody like you, somebody like me, and he can use you to change somebody's world around. You know, you can see somebody reached and, and in church. What a wonderful thing. I tell you, when I look around in church on a Wednesday night, Sunday night, all, all the services in church, and I look around, I see people in church that I have invited out, I have led to the Lord, I have started up the program that they come into or whatever. It's, I tell you, Better than any drug I've ever done. Better than any drug I've ever done. 
You know, there's such a joy when you can look around and say, you know what? God used me to help that person. Because God uses people. God uses people. That's what he uses. He doesn't use buildings. He doesn't use programs. He uses people. Ordinary people just like you. Ordinary people just like those lepers. But people that are willing to be used. Let's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we are so grateful, Lord, for the great salvation that you have made available to us through Christ. Uh, Lord, we ask, O oh God, as the start of the missions conference, Father in heaven, that you would uh, store us up, Lord. And Lord, the reason why we're looking at your word is, Lord, we know, Lord, deep in our hearts that, Lord, we're willing, but oftentimes, Lord, there's something that, that holds us back. And Lord, we need a change in our thinking. Uh, Father in heaven, I pray, O oh God, that this week you would store the people here in the church, Lord, to be a, uh, missionaries in the, in, with the people around them. Lord, that they would be drawn, that they would feel your presence with them, that they would want to go, that they would want to share, that they would want to give out tracts, that they would want to do all that you would have them to do to see people reach for Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for each missionary that's going to come through the church over the next few days, Lord, that you would give uh, such freedom and, and liberty as they speak and, and give the people a heart for their, their ministries and a heart for their families. Do pray for Brother Rogers coming tomorrow, Lord, that you would touch uh, his heart, that you would prepare them, that you would give them safe travel uh, as they come up. Uh, and Lord, we, we pray, O oh God, just for uh, your heart to be upon uh, this place. Lord, give us a real, real passion, Lord, for missions. Uh, Lord, for me and my church in Dublin, Lord, for the people here in Birmingham, Lord, would you just draw us so close to you Help us to know, Lord, what we're doing uh, is, is right from your heart. Lord, I pray that each one of us would be stored up to do more, to give more, to pray more, and Lord, ultimately to go more. Father in heaven, I pray that you'll bless your people tonight. In Christ's name, amen. Mm-hmm.